0: Safer safe? In- sex, intercourse, condoms, sexually sex. transmitted infections, HIV, HIV. STI health.
1: HIV. Sex sexual
2: health, health. treatment, prevention, sexual attractive, sexually sex. transmitted infections,
0: contraceptive, sex sexual health, sexual health specialist. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name's Tom and you're listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we talk about all things related to sexual health. Today, is a special episode of the podcast. Here at Sydney's Sexual Health Centre, we have a project called The Waiting Room Project. When people come to visit a sexual health centre, they might be feeling anxious or concerned about the results of their test. To help reduce this anxiety and make the centre a more welcoming place, we have a group of volunteers who curate art exhibits in the waiting room, which change each month. The first exhibit of 2021 was by artist and Dr. Hazello Ortiz. His exhibit explores the social, cultural, and medical impacts of the human papillomavirus, or HPV. To help promote the project and explore these facets of HPV, the volunteers organised a discussion panel which was recorded over Zoom. We'll be sharing a selection of that discussion here on the podcast today. So, over to two of our volunteers, Joey and Natalie.
2: So, uh, and I'll quickly do an introduction to um, the Waiting Room Project and who we are and what we do. So, we're just a contemporary art space located within the Waiting Room at Sydney Sexual Health Centre in um, Sydney Hospital, right in the CBD. And we mainly exist as a way of kind of alleviating anxieties and stress in, um, in a clinical waiting room as people are quite nervous or um, quite anxious to go in for uh, a sexual health checkups and uh, receive the results. So, uh, the I think it's quite an interesting non-white cube space and how um, we really love experimenting with artists to see how they activate the space in different ways. So, um. A there you go. Um, but yeah, so that's who we are. I am Joey. I'm one of the co-curators and this is Natalie in the top, top corner. Um, he was our other co-curator, uh, we're both, uh, artists and
3: emerging curators at the moment. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so hi, I'm Natalie. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, so. Sorry, my pronouns are she, her too. (laughs) Um, and so welcome to this panel. We're so lucky to have Joselo as our first exhibiting artist of the year. Um, his practice revolves around the intersection of art and medicine. And this panel in particular will delve into um, logistics and many intimate details about sexual health in general. Um, so um, and without further ado, I'll let Hosello introduce himself and his speakers.
4: Hi. Um, well. Uh, my name is Josélo Ortiz. Uh, I'm a medical doctor from Mexico. I arrived to Australia uh, three years ago to do um, to do a master in sexual and reproductive health with clinical specialty in HIV and STIs. Um, I've been working with the human papilloma virus since like five years ago. Um, it all started in a in in the public health, I mean the public hospital of Mexico. Um, called Hospital Universitario, Um, and since then I I haven't stopped. I I think um, through this agent, uh, particularly the human papillomavirus, we can understand our societies better and, you know, kind of see our behaviors and patterns through it. And um, I don't know, Samantha or Justin, do you want to introduce yourself?
5: Yeah, um, my name's Samantha Blake. I'm a clinical nurse specialist in sexual health. Um, I've worked at Sydney Sexual Health Centre for a number of years, and now I'm at the uh, New South Wales Sexual Health Info Link, which is a statewide um, sexual health information service, and we do sort of a mix of information and referral for the general public and health professionals and um, various sort of health promotion and um, results, provision, referral services.
4: Justine?
1: Hi, my name's Justine Morrill. I'm a clinical nurse specialist as well, but not in this field. Mine's in intensive care, so my um, participation in this panel is more along the lines of um, myself as a client patient accessing uh, testing for HPV and my experiences in that area. Should we start with our uh, first
2: Topic, or uh, we've got a question for Sam. So, what is HPV and who gets it?
5: Well, HPV is the human papillomavirus, um, and genital HPV is one of the most common STIs worldwide. It's a virus that's transmitted on the surface of the skin, and so it's really, really difficult to avoid. Um, even condoms, which work really excellently for infections like HIV that are transmitted through body fluids, um, they do decrease the risk of transmission when you've got penetrative sex, but they're not 100% because the the virus is on the surface of the skin and parts of the bodies that are that are rubbing against each other during sex can, you know, include. Other areas that are infected. So essentially, pretty much all of us will be exposed to HPV. There are dozens of different strains of HPV. Um, and there, in some ways, it's considered the common cold of STIs, because for most of us, we will get infected and it comes and goes without much consequence. But there are a number of different strains of HPV that um that some people's bodies will have difficulty clearing and over and over many years usually they can become cancers. So, you know, through um over time we've discovered particularly a, a close link between um two types of HPV, HPV 16 and 18 and cervical cancer. And out of that um We've developed a number of different screening screening programs and interventions that um, that kind of address that. But those are only um, two types of many. Um, and for a lot of people who even get those those high risk types, it will be cleared naturally by your own immune system. Um, but we don't have a cure for it, so there's a um, there's a need to look at it closely when we find those types and um, and watch them and do some interventions if they they
3: are persisting. Well, um, that's really interesting. So I was wondering what can any of you tell us about the general history um, about HPV as a virus?
4: Um, Yeah. Thank you, Samantha, for that amazing explanation. Um, Yeah. So our history is both personal and collective with HPV. So on a personal level, um, HPV kind of becomes part of the history of a person um, through the impact of the disease, um, the emotional stress that a lesion can cause. But at a, at a species level, it is also part of our history. Um, there's this doctor called Harald zurhausen He won the Nobel Prize in 2008 for his um, discoveries um, about HPV causing cervical cancer. And in his investigations, he discovered that it has been with us uh, for millions of years unlike HIV which are just uh, recently introduced in was introduced into our species um, in the last few decades um, there's also some cases in the literature about uh, people in the eight in the 1600s uh, particularly there's a noble woman from Italy um, called Maria de Aragon uh, and she was like a typical example of a Renaissance noble woman. They did some molecular studies to the genital area of the of the mummy, and they, it revealed uh, the presence of HPV serotype 18. It follows us um, to everywhere everywhere we go. It's basically in every country in the world, and to different extents.
2: I'm it. All right. <laughs> so, um, and then- Our next question is, um, has the testing uh, process for HPV in Australia always been the same
5: or has it changed over the years? Australia started the pap smear program in 1991, which has been an incredibly successful um, health intervention and it reduced um, cervical cancer by 50%. um, And the vast majority of cervical cancers that still persisted were people who were not participating in the program, so either um, had never had pap smears or um, or had pap smears quite infrequently. Um, so the, the, the screening program has been quite successful. Um, that said, in about 2007, um, the HPV vaccination was introduced. Um, And in Australia, that started with vaccinating uh, girls at 12 to 13, so trying to catch people before they're sexually active, because as I said, these HPV viruses are really ubiquitous. Pretty much as soon as you're sexually active, um, you become infected with with HPV, so trying to get them um, before that. And then um, a few years later, in 2013, that program was extended to boys, realizing that um, there are some men who are getting HPV who are not having sex with women, um, who are having sex with each other. And um, and HPV is also associated with other kinds of um, cancers, so penile cancers and anal cancers as well. So Australia now has um, quite a comprehensive vaccination program and we're already seeing you know, pretty big shifts in um in genital warts, and we expect to see shifts in, in cancer over time as well. Um, but in 2017, there was, you know, as we're learning more about HPV, the, the screening program was shifted from the pap smear program, which is primarily looking at cell changes on the cervix, um, to what we're calling just cervical screening testing, which is really HPV testing as the first point um because we we learned so much that hpv type 16 and 18 um, are are the you know are much more specifically associated with cervical cancers than than those cell changes which can be quite transient and also sometimes the cell changes themselves um, don't show up as um, specifically as, as a HPV diagnosis. So the whole program changed a few years ago, um, which has been interesting for me as a, um, as a nurse answering questions to people because what's happened is, and I think that there's maybe been a little bit of a failure in, in health education in explaining the change, but everyone's now discovering that they're infected with HPV, which has been really distressing because people – Um, you know, understand it's a sexually transmitted infection and while they may have always had it and gotten, you know, had it through all the previous pap smears, the pap smears weren't necessarily diagnosing them with an STI. So there's a lot of questions and concerns about um, what it means to be diagnosed with with HPV, even if you've got a low risk type, or if it's a high risk type, does that mean you have to stop having sex with anyone? all those kinds of things are coming up, but the good news with it is, is that it's um, it does seem to be a more accurate screening system, and um, is likely to um, identify and prevent more cancers.
3: Thank you for your thorough explanation about the process. So, um, how do you feel about the process of HPV testing
1: in general, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm um, I've. I still worked out that I'd had 25 pap smears over my lifetime and you never become used to them. They are as unpleasant the first time as the 30th time. Um, as you're saying, Samantha, they're, they're confronting and that also depends on the practitioner that is providing that service as to how they choose to engage with you. Are they actually skilled at taking a pap smear? Because that in itself is requires someone to have um, a reasonable understanding of the anatomy of the female cervical canal, the vaginal canal. So, if they choose to insert the speculum straight, you get an you get an, a really strong pain and a strong pinching sensation. Whereas if they, you know, if they tend to invert it and, and Put it in a slope, it, it's more comfortable. That, that's just the mechanics of it, which um, can really be very, very unpleasant. The, the, um, the emotional part of it certainly is um, I've had no um, adverse psychological sexual issues in my life, so I come with a clean slate. But certainly with people who have experienced any form of um, sexual violence or uh, just sexual dominance being in a position where you your hands you know you've got to keep them away and your legs are up in a in stirrups and you just have to basically comply that test in itself is a really can be a very very distressing process a necessary test but nevertheless distressing so it it is then up to the, um, the social competence and sensibility of the practitioner, be it um, nurse, doctor, to actually to assume that every patient comes with um, a psychology which makes them very anxious about this test. So just assume that whoever is presenting will be confronted and therefore, if you deliver that appropriate care, then you're going to increase the the likelihood that that client patient will come back again for a repeat process. Um, Also, additionally to that is um, I come from a very, very um, privileged position of being white, female in a a reasonably well-off demographic, so I can access this test whenever I want. Um, We also see a lot of women who come from ethnic backgrounds where there is the understanding of that, that transmission of HPV, particularly amongst their husbands, is that if their wife has HPV, then she must have slept around.
4: You know, speaking on that point, it's um, it's very interesting that um, biological record has such a strong social impact, right? Like we're more afraid of this social impact than the development of a disease. And... That has to do with our preconceptions about sexuality as well. And I just wanted to ask you, um, so now in Australia, you you can do the um, cervical test, right? Which can be, you you can test it yourself, like for the people who are not in Australia, like um, they give you like a swab, if, if I recall correctly. They give you like a swab and then uh, people will introduce it by themselves and do like um, get a sample from that and then put it in a tube and then give it to the doctor or nurse um, for it to be tested. How does that change um, for example, as in being now in charge of your own samples, right? Instead of somebody else being um, in charge of it, like do, do you think that also empowers the 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 person the patient to be in control of the situation more than before, and is that kind of uh, parallel to all these uh advances in in the sense of empowering women to take uh, you know uh like to to give them more like or, or to more, more to like oppress them less in the, in a sense like to be more empowered about their decisions. Do you think that has to do that that has like an impact in there?
1: Without a doubt. So for for a number of reasons, as I said, um, it's a really it's a really unusual position to be in to take a, a cervical sample, um, like being flat on your back, legs up, bent. Um, it, it's it just seems um, and when you have to put a speculum in it, it's it seems as I said before, if if someone's not really understanding the anatomy properly, it can be a really unpleasant experience. So to the point of doing your own sample, um you know, I, I know that it's been discussed with lots of younger girls you know in their twenties that you take the sample the same way you might instead of tampon. So that first time when you're sort of getting used to it you put one leg up on the, the toilet seat lid, and you sort of you, you get the right angle. It's a very simple thing to do.
3: On that note, um, we're talking about how the self samples, it's like a practical way for women to feel, uh, to lift that barrier of testing. But um, what about? like from the perspective of men and other people in society how do you think they can accommodate or what are some shifts that we need to change in order for this test to be even smoother and less um, traumatising almost
5: and there, there actually isn't a screening test for men for HPV so it can be it can be quite um, quite challenging to kind of you know when I when I speak to women on the phone who've been uh, diagnosed with HPV, um, you know, they're very distressed about giving it to their partners or their partners call and say, I've just found out that my wife or my partner has HPV. What do I do? Am I going to get cancer or, you know, this kind of thing, but they're actually, um, there aren't screening tests for men, but men are mostly the, the vectors for, uh, for um, HPV for women. So um, it just seems to be. I mean, there, there are very strong links between HPV and other kinds of cancers that men can get, but the the prevalence of those cancers, I believe, is lower. Um,
3: I guess my lead up question, a follow up question, is um, how do you think like feminism in Australia has changed the way sexual health is regulated or educated um, in our society in
1: Australia? So given um. Significantly the eldest person on this panel (laughs) Um, with regards to the feminist movement, um, it certainly has been to the detriment of male health Um, and not that we should have ever pulled back from um, the strong advances and focus on female health, certainly not at all. But um, it should not have taken... Um, center stage um, yeah at the expense of men um, so I don't think it was an... in it, I I don't believe it was an intentional um, over, oversight of men's health it's it just that the the feminist movement was um, was and still is um, robust and unapologetic unapologetic so uh there there is i think we now need to lend our voice to male issues because as a mother of um male and female children you know i obviously would advocate for equal health services for both so um yeah, I, I I'm confronted that I I didn't challenge that health dynamic earlier with regards to um, the vaccine for men when like when my daughter was um, given it when she was twelve or thirteen. Why the question for me is why did I not advocate that for my son when he also reached that age? So there's the conflict. Samantha, I'm really interested in your perspective because you have. <clears throat> always been on that coalface face of sexual health. You know, you're certainly going to be um, uh, have a have a stronger understanding of um, feminism and, and the feminist movement mm-hmm. impacting health portfolios and profiles in general.
5: Well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's hard to answer. One, one because I'm an immigrant to Australia, right? So I don't, I wasn't, I didn't, I don't have sort of that visceral sense of change over time in this country, and um, and and maybe also don't have kind of the um, historical local knowledge to speak to it so directly. But um, you know, I'm not sure that you know it's necessarily like the feminist movement that has made the majority of interventions around HPV on the female body or um, bodies with the cervix. Um, I mean, in some ways you could think, you know, like birth control um, that's something that has always been the burden of women to manage. Whereas, you know, pregnancy is not possible without sperm. And so you could have chosen to have all kinds of medical interventions on male bodies, their bodies with sperm. And likewise, cervical cancer mostly comes from men who have HPV and it's women who have the burden of having to lie on their backs and have these really invasive kind of procedures where we could target all the HPV prevention towards men. And if we eradicated it from their bodies, then it wouldn't be such an issue for, um, for women. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's such a direct line that way. I mean I think more the um issues of of uh gender inequality are end up being about health access and access to information, access to services, the ability to get to doctors' appointments when you've got childcare responsibilities. Um, uh, Yeah, so I kind of I think I would I would place it a bit differently. And I also think it becomes, you know, quite challenging um, I think as Hosella talked about as well for, um, for, you know, the way that we teach women to feel about their sexuality and, um, you know, about, um, being pure or being good in a sexual way to be diagnosed with an STI has, you know, quite a, um, uh, heavier burden on women often, or, um, than it does on, on men who, you know, it doesn't, it, the framing that we have about STIs for, for men can be not always great, but mixed up with you know virility and other kind of positive associations. Where for women it can be really quite devastating and um, and alienating. So, um, yeah, I think I would I would probably place it differently. But I think you know Hosella's, um framed this discussion in such an interesting way because HPV is so ubiquitous it becomes a really interesting site for the way that, um, you know, people interact with with an infection and with its um, association with sex and with access to services, which, you know, most, I mean, we recommend in Australia that every single person from 25 to 70, um, regardless of sexual histories, getting these tests for the whole span of their lives, anyone with a cervix, I should say. so, you know, it's quite a comprehensive um, lens, I guess, to look look at, you know, how it impacts women and how we frame it. And also, you know, not women as well. So non-binary people, um, trans men as well, have a whole complex relationship as well with, um, with you know, their cervix. And, um, you know, for a long time, uh, lesbian women or women who had sex with women, there was a lot of. Uh, poor information that they did not need to have cervical screening. And I feel like slowly it's developing, um, you know, more consistent messaging in healthcare. But a lot of GPs had very terrible information about um, the sexual health of uh, women who have sex with women or people who don't have sex with cis men. Um, And so, yeah, just the the lack of information for certain populations is also, um, you know, has a huge impact on their ability to access appropriate services.
0: This has been a special episode of the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we have heard a selection of the discussion around HPV and the art by Hazello Ortiz. To see the full Zoom chat, you can view it on YouTube, and to see the art, you can visit the Waiting Room Project website, both are linked in the description. Thanks for joining us for another podcast. If you like it, please share and subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe and have fun.